welcome to the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. And now your host, Sonia Esther Sultani. Welcome to this new episode of the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Esther Sultani, the Editor-in-Chief of Rappaport. This podcast is for jewelry collectors. Whether you're a novice or an expert, I hope you enjoy our series. Today, we're meeting a jewelry artist, Ming Lamson. She's based in London, and she's launching a new collection in New York called Origins. Ming is a gemologist, a goldsmith, a jewelry artist, and as she put it after this podcast recorded, she said we're all a bit obsessive and completely crazy. So find out a bit more about her passion in this really, really exciting podcast. Hello, Ming. How are you? Hello, Sonia. I am well. I'm absolutely delighted to speak to you. I feel like I know you and I don't because I follow you so much and I read a lot and I listen to a lot of what you write and talk about. So there's a familiarity, even though we've never met. It's such a pleasure. So if people know me and follow me, they know I'm absolutely obsessed with Ming's jewelry. So that's why I really wanted to have Ming Lamson on our podcast. Um, in the first seasons, we talked a lot about estate jewelry, vintage jewelry. We talked about jewelry history. And in this season, I wanted to actually meet the designers behind these pieces that have becoming collectible and you know these pieces that are really outstanding and have a lasting value and are creating a lot of buzz around them for all the good reasons. So Ming has a new collection called Origins. It's going to be unveiled by the time this podcast comes out. It will just be unveiled in New York. Yes. So tell us about the story of this new collection. It's your fourth collection and each collection has a story. So what is the story of Origins? Each collection has a story because I like to design with the collections in a very different way from how I design for commissions. I'd like to give my collections a story because I enjoy the investigative nature of designing for a collection. And the story behind Origins was I was very fascinated and inspired by the earliest forms of jewellery. You know, in the age where we question why we wear jewellery, what is the purpose or the reason almost why we would buy it, why we would wear it. And for that, I found that I wanted to really go back just to the origins of jewellery as human adornment. And I was fascinated by the idea that you could pick up a pebble or a shell and string it on you. You know, how you could almost weave threads to become something that you put on and how that turned to beads or pearls what it was worn for, you know, was it just adornment? Was it for treasure? Was it for trade? Was it sort of honour the sun, the moon, the stars? And all of that kind of came into this collection. But I didn't want the pieces to be representative of those things. It was just more, how can I explore those ideas in what I make? And how did it start? Was there something specific that started this reflection on the origin of jewellery in your specific creative journey? It was more really, I guess, I, you know, I've been designing and making jewellery for 25 years. And I've made my first ring actually 30 years ago as a teenager. And you really start at a point in your career, question why you do what you do, why you make. And I love the history of jewellery, but I really wanted to take it right back for my own investigations. I understand. And the exhibition of this collection will take place at Stephen Russell in New York. 
and it's in collaboration also with uh, Vivarium. So how did this collaboration came about? And also you're a London-based drawer, so it was important for you to show first in New York? So there's a few different answers in that. The collaboration came about because of Vivian Becker, who I hugely admire as a jewellery historian. I'm very interested in the art form, obviously the history of jewellery, the art form of jewellery. We become completely obsessed by it. Anybody who's around gemstones, you can't not. You fall so head over heels and deeply in love with jewellery, with stones, with the craft, with the technical thing. And Vivian's incredibly knowledgeable about the history of jewellery. And she's been very supportive. She loves my work. And she took me to Gem Genève years ago and presented me there. And I really respect her knowledge and views on jewellery. She introduced me to Stephen and Russell, who have a wonderful collection of vintage and antique. Interesting, they've got Alexander Calder, they've got old Van Cleef, they've got Belle Perron, they've got old Tiffany. And when you have an opportunity to stand alongside such incredible, inspiring heritage pieces, it's not something you're going to turn down. Of course. So tell us a bit more about some of the pieces you're bringing to New York from this collection. I know you, st you said the pebble was very important to you for the more ancient ornaments. So tell us just a few of the pieces that people are going to be lucky to, to discover in New York. Yes. So it was, a lot of it started with the concept of the pebble and then loads of things grew from that. And it was exploring early, very, very early stones that were used, be it jade, amber, pearls. And from there, the collection started to grow almost from a carving out of jade in a certain shape. And from there, it spiraled into other ideas of carved chalcedony, star rubies, star sapphires, using opaque materials in a way that I like where they're offset by faceted materials and the juxtaposition between the two and trying to explore these themes in a very modern fine jewellery way that didn't feel at all like I quite like somebody to pick up a piece and wouldn't even know that that's the inspiration like the collection shouldn't the pieces shouldn't in any way suggest that They are my own thoughts and experiments and drawings. And I draw and draw and draw. And the initial idea becomes so changed by the time I finish the piece. But that's just kind of for me. And if somebody asks me, I'm delighted to share it. But actually, the piece exists on its own. The piece at the end should always honor the stone. So we're so lucky in to use gemstones from the earth. And I always feel like I'm trying to make a house or a throne that honors the stone. So whatever the concept is, I want to honor what's come out, what kind of has come out of the earth in a way that sets it off to its best nature. And so from that, that spiraled into star sapphire, moonstones, yellow barrels, things that were represented the sun, the moon, the cosmos, the stars, but using shapes from my early explorations of jade pebbles, amber pebbles that then translated into these later materials. So when you see the collection as a whole, this journey can be carried through. But when you see the individual pieces, you might not think, where does that relate back to origins? Where is the threads and the fringes connected to the initial idea of pebbles and weavings? That sounds fascinating. I uh, will share some pictures with our audience on the website as well, so they can see a bit more what we're talking <laughs> about. But imagine a little bit, even I'm sure you'll be, it's going to be surprising. And to talk about your origin story, 
That's a well-known story yes. that 25 years ago, you received a bag of gemstones in Jaipur, in India. Yes. That started yes. your journey, your personal journey. Yes. How do you see yes. this evolution from this Jaipur revelation, if I can say yes. it this way, yes. or a complete love story to this collection now that you created, this fourth collection? Yes, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, I think that it has been a hell of a journey because you start with beats. You don't, I've never worked for somebody and I've very much sort of had to train myself. I guess the thing with the beads has been, it started me with an obsession of gemstones, but alongside that obsession with gemstones, which is consistent the entire way through, and it seems to get stronger and stronger. I keep thinking, well, you know, but you sit, you can never see all the stones and you can never not be moved and excited when you hold incredible stones. And I think it's always like, how can I make a better piece for that stone? And how can I show people how amazing these stones are? And, you know, I get still incredibly excited by the gemstones. But alongside that has been actually what I hadn't realized when I was much, much younger, was a real love of kind of technical difficulties and tools and construction and creation, which, you know, I had to keep training myself in, as long as working with the stones was actually training to be a jeweler, learning about. I started in Jaipur with a you know, kerosene lamp and a, and a tube to solder, and now we use lasers and it feels so far apart, but it actually is part of the journey. And then at the basis of, behind both of those things is my love of drawing and that I just want to make things and that's been from a child just constantly making things out of paper out of Fimo out of clay out of you know so those three things have come together but it's been quite a long journey because you have to experiment if nobody in your family or any of your history is in making jewelry I had to work out did I want to work in silver did I want to sell to shops why was i choosing item by item versus making many of a piece and for that journey i had to try and then learn why i didn't i've always felt a guiding principle that jewelry is our treasure and so therefore for me i never wanted to mass produce not only because it kind of put me in front of a computer much more and took me away from just sitting and drawing but also because I don't think we need masses of jewellery each. We need few pieces of very finely considered made jewellery, not just in terms of us as individuals, but for us, for the planet, for all sorts of reasons. I believe in very carefully considered items that we own in life. But it was quite a journey. It's, it's beautiful to see that. And I think there's something I've always enjoyed and appreciated in your approach to jewelry and your jewelry philosophy is the sustainability of it. You just mentioned we don't need to mass produce. There's a thoughtfulness and mindfulness that goes into creating your jewelry. And how do you implement it? How do you discuss it with your private clients? Because I know it's something that's very dear to you. How is it important to them as well? Do they come to you because of this? How do you work with these private collectors and try to really apply this idea of you know sustainable, long-term jewelry? It's such a complicated subject. And I never want to, you know, I can't claim to be extremely sustainable. I can only claim to be trying to work at it. But I do think we all want to feel really good about what we wear. And we want to feel very respectful to what the journey has been of the gold, of the stone, of 
the construction and how who that impacts, be it in a human level or a planet level. And I know anybody I would talk about wants to feel, it sounds a bit hippie, but the spirit of the piece must feel good. Not just, it's not a commodity. And so therefore we want to make sure we respect the artisanal miners, the gold miners, the gemstone miners, the cutters, and how we can feel good about that. And so anybody who you discuss that with would agree, I feel. Do you bring it up with your private clients or is just something that comes organically as the process goes and you explain the sourcing of the gemstones and the sourcing of the gold and the artisans? Yes, I don't want to preach to anybody and I don't want to tell anybody. If somebody asks me, I'll explain super clearly what I believe and if I have the chance to bring that into the discussions, but I don't want it to be something that dictates a design or that somebody feels that their views might be different or it's just something I believe in so I feel I can put it into the pieces. And how has it changed the role of the private juror? Because you've never worked for another house, you've always been your own private juror. Uh, how has this job changed you see over the last 20 years to work with clients? Do you see that demands being a bit different? Do you see collaboration has evolved with new clients. They want something different. They want the new types of jewelry. How does that happen? I feel that people are really starting to respect the idea of having the only one in the world, of one piece handmade, which 20 years ago, we lived in a more quick mass. You know, gold was very cheap and it just, there was a slightly different view that I'm starting to jewelry and how I felt about jewelry than is now. I don't know if you'd agree with me, Sonia, but I feel that people are coming round to really respecting the crafts of goldsmiths or even tailors or whatever it is versus mass production. And people love to have something that's just for them, that they're the only one, because I say to people, that's their piece for their story. And when it gets handed down, or even if it gets sold, it's got something of them about it. And I think people are really coming round to what makes them as an individual and design and jewelry comes along with that. Would you agree? Completely. Yeah, we use the word personalization so much in jewelry, yeah. but, you know, it used to be just, you just have the choice between two stones, you know, and that's personalization. Yes. I think you know, it has really yes. evolved into, you really create your personal jewelry in collaboration with the artist. I see it more and more, you know, and the success of, jurors coming on the scene today, I think is very linked to the fact that they offer this personal, I'm going to tell your story in this tiny, tiny piece of jewelry, or a bit bigger, but still. Exactly. And I feel like I had a client say to me once, you know, it feels like my armor to the world, you know, and that concept is very, very interesting. But it's also why collections are important, because with a private commission, it's not so much about me, it's about me trying to use my expertise and my design to capture something of that person. But with a collection, you are trying to use your expertise and your design to create a piece of art based on your own thoughts and ideas and explorations. And it's a very, very different way of designing. And one is not more important than the other, but both are incredibly enjoyable. And I do find that both inspire the other because the way 
you would start in a kind of research and design journey for a collection is very much how I would start in a research and design journey for a commission. And being sort of so one-on-one about how people wear jewellery, is it comfortable? Is it fluid? Is it part of them? Is it starting from a point of being part of them also informs my collection pieces very much. And so I very much, it's important to me to have both going on. I see, I see. And I think that's very nice that it's your fourth collection. So it's not like, for you, it's very special, actually. I know they're all imbued with, you know, a lot of personal stories as well. So there's... You there's kind of have to start, start with yourself. Otherwise, <laughs> I think as any artist is only going to be most true if they start from their own viewpoint. Absolutely. So if you had to do a retrospective, of your work, not just to launch this new collection origins, which of the pieces you've created in the past 20 years you'd like to put in this Ming retrospective? Oh, it's interesting because I always feel like a tiny piece of myself is in each of these collection pieces. You go through such sort of tears but joy and, you know, there's always the most difficult pieces are often the pieces that I feel so fond of but kind of emotional about because... Sometimes in making a one-of-a-kind piece, you make it so many times in order for it to appear in its final form. It's sometimes difficult for people to understand how many times you might carve something and then it breaks or because you're pushing techniques or you make the model and then it doesn't hang right or it doesn't sit right or it doesn't balance right. And a lot of good design is just about balance. You can have the same design, but if it's not constructed exactly right, the balance is just off. It's flat or it's heavy or it's not weightless or easy feeling or it just doesn't have the right, I go back to balance. And often in the pieces that I'm most proud of or feel so fondly about, it's because they've been very, very technically difficult. And I've been very frustrated, but then had the complete joy of when we finally break through. They're also pieces that I'm proud of because Maybe there was a pivot in my whole design points from then on. Or they've gone to a home that I'm incredibly proud of. So there's definitely pieces from each collection that play into that, where they've changed and they've led to a lot of designs from that point. And I can send you pictures and an explanation where they are. But using historical techniques or using historical references, but in a very, very modern way, I always really enjoy and where I showcase stones that make you see them hopefully in new eyes, things that I search to improve about myself and then showcase. Are there like, do you see like certain stones appearing or being having a more prominent place in this imaginary showcase? Yes, I think, you know, I love all stones and I try to work with an incredibly wide range of stones because I want people to share in the joy of what stones are out there. I definitely there would be some jade pieces I think from my history of living in Hong Kong as a child but also sort of what would be considered Ayurvedic stones from times of working in India where they're sapphires and chrysobel cat's eye which maybe in Europe people aren't so familiar with, but are very important in Asia. I love all sapphires, but I love really unusually coloured sapphires, which people don't get the chance to see in a lot of shops, maybe. Unusual coloured tourmalines, where I have collected stones and matched them. There was a watermelon tourmaline bracelet that I really collected and collected to try and colour match. 
there's some Siberian amethyst that I found from a dealer that was closing his whole office down and they were in his personal collection. And there's a color, the mines are you don't really mind Siberian amethyst now, but they're really pink. And I combined them with turquoise and the pink pulled out of the purple in the amethyst and the turquoise. And it was just so, the one made the other stone more special. And that's very exciting when you manage to create that. Wow, I can already imagine a beautiful showcase of your work. That's happening, maybe. Thank you, Sonny. <laughs> so kind. <laughs> I want this to happen. And tell me, who else would you put next to your work? Well, the other artists, it doesn't have to be jewelry. It could be any type of artist that you think you have a dialogue in your creative mind that you would like to showcase alongside your own work. You know, if you were able to have an imaginary museum, you'd want to put in the people that inspire you and that you feel like you want to honor. But as long with other artists, I mean, in terms of the jewelry world, there's artists who inspire me from their technical abilities, incredible, incredible technical abilities. You know, modern artists like Giovanni Kovova and Lean Hain and people like that who are doing incredible technical things with metal. Andrew Lamb comes to mind. But then there are old artists who like Louis Cartier, who just can't fail to inspire you, or Jar, or Viran Bagger, these names that just are so incredible in their ability to have balance and use of gemstones. In terms of more sculptors and artists, it would always go back to Matisse and Giacometti and some of these people who would take colour or form and shape and explore them and explore them and explore them. I could go on and on. There's an artist called Hervin Anderson, who's a painter who I just think is incredible. There's really many. So until we get to this, but it will happen, how can people see Origins in New York? What are the dates and how can they see after that the collection and meet you and get to know you? So Origins is on show in the Stephen Russell Gallery, which is on 76th and Madison Avenue in the Upper East Side. And it's going to be on display in that gallery from the 25th of October to the 28th of October, every day in a selling exhibition that showcases my work and some of Stephen Russell's incredible vintage collection in one of the cases alongside. And after that, if people can't go to New York and want to meet you and want to work with you, collectors, connoisseurs, how can they get hold of you? In my own gallery in Notting Hill Gate in London, my gallery is 108 Talbot Road and my workshops underneath the gallery, everything is made here in the workshop underneath in London. And that's the only place that I showcase the work, but anybody can just ring the bell and come in. It's not even an appointment only gallery. I very much like to see the jewels on people, to meet people myself. So we have it always on display here in London. But it's the first time I'll show it, apart from in Geneva, it's the first time I'll show it in New York. Which is very, very exciting. And also, obviously, people can follow you on Instagram. Your account is Ming Jewelry. Ming Jewelry London. Ming Jewelry, English spelling London. We'll share all the details in the article that comes with this podcast. But I think if you haven't seen a piece by Ming before, you're just going to fall in love. Oh, Sonia, that's incredibly <laughs> kind words. No, and I'm so happy we had the opportunity to explore a little bit more your process, the new collection origins, what you would put in your ideal retrospective of Ming. First 20 years and many in the next ones. <laughs> Thank you, Sonia. Thank you so much, Ming, for this wonderful conversation. And if you want to listen to 
more podcasts from our previous seasons. We have all of them on the podcast platforms. And if you want to find out a bit more about Ming, we also have a lovely interview on Jewelry Connoisseur. So look up for Ming and you'll have the opportunity to read a bit more about a previous collection of hers. And also you'll have this podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify. I think I haven't forgotten anything. So you can really find us in a lot of places, but I would encourage you, if you are in New York, to go and see for these three days this beautiful display and any time to ring the bell in Notting Hill to Ming's workshop. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Jewelry Connoisseur podcast by Rappaport Jewelry Pro. This episode was hosted by Sonia Estra-Soltani and produced and edited by Vanina Pikolk. You can find all our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and read more about diamonds, colored gemstones, high jewelry designers, estate jewelry, and the latest jewelry trends on rappaport.com slash jewelry connoisseur. Please subscribe to get all our new episodes. And if you liked this one, leave us a review.